We're going to praise the Lord, but uh, just before we, we turn to prayer, i just got to say, you know, every time we sing those words, you know, love is smiling from your face, I just can't help thinking of those in Luke's Gospel who were so privileged to see Christ, the Son of God, as a baby. You know, the shepherds and Simeon and Anna, they saw something history will never see again. When we see the Lord in glory, he's, he's going to be on his throne. And if you'll forgive me a little bit of license, I hope it's, it's holy, it's meant to be, it's not meant to be frivolous. But I can't help imagining when the Lord Jesus ascended to glory, remember Anna, who had held him, Simeon and Anna, they had seen him last when he was a baby. And you know what, what, what people, it happened this morning with our, our friends Lindsay and Steve who came in, you know, last time I saw you, you were this big, you know. And Simeon and Anna, last time I saw you, you were in the temple, you were a baby. Now you're the Lord of glory. And uh, what, a, what a thought that is. So, an amazing thing. I, these things I could be lost in hours on, can you? <laughs> Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just praise you. You are so great. And the things we're talking about tonight, Lord, we do talk about them every year. It's true. But, Father, it's a joy for us. It's not, it's not an empty ritual. This is, Lord, what our lives are for and about, Lord, to worship you and to consider the greatness of our God and the wonderful things he has done. So, Lord, tonight, come help us by the same Holy Spirit that filled Mary and overshadowed her. Help us, Lord, to understand your word, Lord, and to take in again just maybe even just little crumbs, Lord, but things that will be revelation truth, perhaps we've never understood before, and take them to heart. And things that we do know already, just to reinforce them in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we turn in our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 38. Now, that's the, that's the text, but just for the sake of uh, the context, I'm going to go back to verse 26, just to put the whole passage together. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you, among women excuse me (coughs) but when she saw him she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was then the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus he will be great And will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There have been some amazing births over the years. I, I, one of the, the books, I, I love to read children's uh, general knowledge books. All right? If you see me in a charity shop, that's what I'm looking for. General, children's general knowledge books. For a start, that's my level. And secondly, that's where I get a lot of my uh, little stories from. And I came across this one about a lady in Birmingham whose name was Herbethy Ellie. And she had her seventh child on the seventh hour of the seventh day of the seventh month of 2007 and delivered him in the delivery suite room number seven of the hospital. How do you do that? (laughs) It's just incredible, isn't it? In the same book, it told of another lady who had three children. Nothing surprising about that, except for the fact that they were all born on the same day, uh, two years apart. Again, how do you do that? It's just incredible, isn't it? There have been some amazing births, but there's only one virgin birth. And the virgin birth is one of the most precious and wonderful doctrines. It's hard to understand. Children get it wrong. I heard about a little girl who was misreading her lines in the play when she was given them for practice. She was Mary, and she said, how can this be since I'm a Viking? <laughs> you know. It's not something we're, we're, we're used to hearing about, is it? So it's something, it's, it's new uh, when the Bible talks about it. But it is one of the most fundamental doctrines. And it's proclaimed, whatever others may say, throughout the whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament of Scripture. The very first gospel promise in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, what theologians called the Proto-Evangelion, let me put it to you in coom down English. The first gospel promise, all right? That's what that means. And it says, it's where God said to Adam that the seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's head. You ever notice that the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, or the man and the woman, but the seed of the woman. Christ was going to be born of the Virgin Mary, not uh, a woman and a man. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 Uh, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Now, that's an interesting one because in Hebrew, the word Alma is a word for a young lady. And a lot of the liberals say, well, there you go, you see, it just means a young lady. Well, it's not really much of a sign, is it, that a young lady has a baby. That's happening all the time. But actually, when they translated it into the Greek for the Septuagint, they used the word which is for a virgin, only for a virgin. And that's the word that Matthew uses when he quotes that verse in the New Testament as well. There's a strange verse in Jeremiah 31, verse 22, which says a woman, that God will do a new thing in the earth, that a woman shall compass a man. 
That's an unusual uh, prophecy, often overlooked. Matthew 1.20 uh, is where the angel Gabriel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So it's all the way through scripture. Sometimes people say, ah yes, but you never hear it spoken of among the epistles. Paul knew nothing of a virgin birth. Yes, he did. I can prove it to you. Two things, I believe. I believe Paul implied it in Galatians chapter 4, when he said, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, not born of a man or woman, but born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. He spoke of it there. But also, do you remember Luke, at the beginning of his gospel, he said that he wrote these things to record the things that were certainly believed among us. Well, Luke and Paul were travelling companions in the book of Acts. So when he said, these things that are believed among us, the virgin birth was among us. So Paul knew all about the virgin birth. Luke handled it very well. And so uh, he only mentioned it one time in his gospel. But it's all the way through scripture. But it's such an important doctrine that Satan has not left it alone. He's seen the need to attack it again and again. He's attacked it by malignment. One of the oldest attacks on this came uh, from liberals and even, uh, I'm afraid, I think Jewish people in the early days who said that Mary just had an affair with a Roman soldier. And that you've probably heard that yourself, a man by the name of Panthera. I don't know how they know his name. Uh, but uh, they said, uh, and Mary just invented the virgin birth to try and cover up, uh, you know, her, her, her behavior so she wouldn't be stoned, as would have been done in those days. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? Uh, they've got absolutely no proof of that at all. But it's a myth they cling to. And I would say this, one of the great proofs against it is what happened when Jesus was crucified. Do you remember who was at the cross? Mary was at the cross. And he was crucified because he proclaimed himself Jesus, King of the Jews, and that he had said to, to, to the Jewish people that he was the Son of God. You know, if ever there was a time when Mary would have given in and said, it's all a lie, it's all a lie, I made it up, I had an affair, I, I, I had a relationship, he's not the Son of God, take him down off the cross, that would have been it. That would have broken any mother to see their child on the cross. But she never did, because she knew it was true. It's been attacked by malignment. It's been attacked by mythology. People have said that this is just like the pagan myths uh, that are in other religions. Uh, you know, Buddhism uh, says that, uh, that Buddha's mother conceived after an elephant with six tusks came inside her. There's a, a, a Persian so-called god called Persis whose mother supposedly conceived after a golden rain fell on her. These are nothing like the virgin birth at all. And these pagan myths uh, are not uh, 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 the root of the Christian doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. For one thing, we know that there was a very short time from the Gospels being written after the life of Christ. About 30 years. And that's not long enough to develop a myth and get it entrenched. Because people were still alive back then who knew the truth. You know, if I was to say today, Winston Churchill were, uh, were, was a man who, uh, if I was to say Winston Churchill was a black man, you know, who would believe me? Was, everybody would say, well, 
I mean, apart from the photography, we'd have people saying, no, he wasn't. Or, you know, if I, if I said he had tattoos all up his arms and, you know, around his neck and everything. Sorry, Chris, I wasn't looking at you, mate. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people say, no, he, no, he wasn't. You know, we, we were there, we know, because they were alive in his time. And uh, the mythology one doesn't take off. And the mythologies are all very different. They're all like pagan gods coming and having sex with a woman. They're not like the virgin birth in the Bible. There are no parallels. And anyway, if you really believe that Matthew and Luke, who were devout Jews, would take a pagan myth and try and sell that back to the Jews, you're very, very mistaken. They knew the price of doing that from the book of Deuteronomy. That was stoning to death. So they would never do that. And then it's been attacked also by medical mistakes. Some people have said, ah, yes, but this is a strange phenomenon. Virgin births do sometimes happen in nature. For instance, we know it often happens in certain fish and certain birds and certain reptiles. And it's true, it does. There was a case recently, uh, I think, of a hammerhead shark that can see, it was kept in a tank on its own, and it conceived and had a child. And they said, well, there you go, that's a virgin birth. Well, certain uh, animals can do this because of their chromosomes, but it, it never happens in mammals. Never happens in mammals. And it couldn't happen, let me read to you something John Blanchard wrote. He said, this cannot in any case have happened in the case of Jesus for one very simple reason. In the genetic makeup of human beings, the male has X and Y chromosomes while the female has X and A. If Mary's pregnancy had been triggered by some unique biological freak, the child born would have been female as no Y chromosome would have been present, present to produce a male. So that knocks that one on the head as well. So all the attacks on it uh, are, are fallen, and, and they're not, they don't hold water. But nevertheless, Satan has tried to attack it. And I, I do think today, I wonder how many of us, really and truthfully, could, could defend the virgin birth. Uh, if we were put on the spot to be able to do so. A lot of us would say, do you believe in the virgin birth? Yes, I do, but I'm not quite sure what I'm putting my hand up to say I, I believe in, other than the fact that I believe Jesus was born of Mary. Well, let's have a look at this passage tonight and try and understand some more things about the virgin birth to add to our understanding that hopefully we'll have a greater grip on it. And tonight, I just want to see from this passage of scripture three things. The purpose of the virgin birth, the procedure of the virgin birth, and the possibility of the virgin birth. Just three simple points. First of all, then, the purpose of the virgin birth. Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin. Why was it so important? Why couldn't he have come into the world the same way as all the other people in those genealogies in the Bible uh, where one was begotten of another? Why did he have to have a different birth? Well, our Bible passage here actually gives us a couple of reasons why. If you look in verse 30, which is where I wanted us to begin tonight, it said, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. 
One of the reasons why Jesus had to be born of the Virgin Mary, because he wasn't somebody who was coming into existence for the first time. He wasn't somebody who was coming into existence for the first time. He was somebody who already existed. He had already existed in eternity as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And so his birth was going to be different to the birth of somebody who is born and is a new creature when they're born the first time. Uh, I'm sure all of you will remember Muhammad Ali, the boxer. In, in the early days, when he was still known as Cassius Clay, he was looking into Islam. He only changed his name to Muhammad Ali when he became a convert to Islam. But in the early days, he was looking into Islam, and he was also looking into Christianity. And he had a number of uh, times where he met with notable Christian leaders. He went one time to uh, stay with Billy Graham and his wife Ruth and spent a long time talking with them. But on another occasion, he also had a meeting with my favorite preacher, a man by the name of Adrian Rogers, who was a Southern Baptist preacher. And Adrian Rogers and he were talking for some time, and Adrian was laying out the gospel. And he turned to Adrian and said this. He said, so let me get this right. You're saying Jesus Christ is the Son of God because he was born of a virgin. Adrian Rogers said, Champ, I want you to understand this. I am not saying Jesus Christ was the Son of God because he was born of a virgin. I'm saying he was born of a virgin because he was the Son of God. And that was the right answer. And this is why Jesus had to have a virgin birth. Because he didn't come into existence when he was born. He had already existed as the son of the highest, the one who was going to come and reign on David's throne as is prophesied there in the millennial kingdom. We're not going into all the details of those verses, just grasping these main points. But another reason why the Lord Jesus had to have a virgin birth was because he was to be born sinless and holy. If you come down to verse 35, Uh, You'll notice it says, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. The Lord Jesus was going to have to be born without sin. He was going to be the holy one. Now, he is the only holy one who has ever been born because the bible tells us very clearly that man born of woman is born to trouble and born of sin and david said this in the psalms and job laments this a number of times in his book as well when man comes into this world he comes in with an inherent sinful nature that goes all the way back to adam you see the human race is like a river that's been polluted at the fountainhead And because of that, every single human being is born in this world with a sin nature. And that's a problem, because if Jesus Christ is coming to be the saviour, he needs to be born without sin. Otherwise, if he's got the same problem as me, then he can't be my saviour. And so the virgin birth was uh, was what made Christ coming into the world possible for him to be my saviour. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary so that he was born without sin. 
He was born without sin. Some people say uh, that it was, you know, just because uh, uh, this way it wasn't of the father. And it's through the father that sin is passed down the line. That's not true because sin is in mothers as well. I know um, uh, a lot of mums might like to say when the children are bad, you get that from their father. (laughs) But actually they get it from their mother as well. You know, sin is is in all of us. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church has tried to get around this by saying that Mary herself was a a virgin and had uh, had an immaculate conception and therefore she was born uh, of a virgin birth. That doesn't solve the problem because then what about her mother? Uh, And it just pushes the problem back another person. No, that's a myth. It's not in the Bible. The way Jesus came into the world without sin was that he was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit in her womb. And by that means, a means known only to God, but by that means he was preserved from uh, the inherent sinful nature in man. And he was the Holy One born to be our saviour. So that's the purpose for it. And I would say this, let's hold on to the virgin birth because of those purposes. You know, it matters who Jesus is, that he is the eternal, sinless son of God. And it matters for our salvation. When you hear that a third of the Anglican clergy no longer believe in the virgin birth, and you think, well, if they think they can get along without it, just fine. They're fools. They're fools. If there is no virgin birth, There is no gospel. Let's be clear. There's no gospel. You and I are going to hell. There's no saviour. We need the virgin birth. That's how critical and important it is. So that's the purpose of it. Second thing I want us to consider is the procedure. How did it actually happen? And I want to go back to that verse, uh, verse 34 and verse 35. In verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. I know some of you like uh, the preacher David Jeremiah, and so do I. And in one of his uh, in one of his books, he tells a rather funny story about his grandchildren. And apparently, what happened was, uh, on one occasion, his grandchildren came to his daughter, who was their mother, and posed a theological question to them. They'd been listening to this Bible passage, and. They asked their mother, they said, Mummy, how could Joseph and Mary have a baby when they didn't even know each other? (laughs) Now, the reason is that they didn't understand, of course, the term no. And the phrase no means to have intercourse, uh, husband and wife. Uh, But Mary says here very clearly, I do not know a man. I haven't been with a man. So her own testimony is that she is a virgin uh, in the real meaning of the word. So how was this going to happen, this virgin birth? It was going to happen that the Holy Spirit, the power of the highest, what, what a phrase that is, by the way, for the Holy Spirit, the power of the highest. Uh, what a description. He will overshadow you. 
And the overshadowing there is, uh, in, in the Greek, it's a term that's used in the Septuagint. I keep going back to that because it is a very useful thing. But it goes back to the Septuagint, and it's a phrase that was used in the Septuagint for the Shekinah glory coming into the tabernacle or into the temple. And it filled the temple. And there was a, 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 an overshadowing. Do you remember like the glory cloud over uh, the camp of Israel? It overshadowed. And there's something here which is comparing Mary's womb to the holy of holies in the temple. Now that's something to take in. This makes this whole thing very beautiful and very special. I don't know if you ever thought about this. You know, God's very choosy about his dwelling places, isn't he? And uh, in in the temple, the temple had to be sanctified, laid out in a certain way. God gave very strict commands and procedures for the temple to be laid out. That was going to be his house he dwelt in on earth. And yet he made Mary's womb the holy of holies for Jesus, the Son of God, to be conceived in by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Now, I see some comparisons. For one thing, it had to be a clean place. had to be a clean place. And Mary's womb was a virgin womb. There hadn't been any other baby in there. There hadn't been anybody else in there. That was set apart. And just like Jesus was laid in a clean tomb when he died uh, and when he was buried, a tomb that nobody else had been laid in, just as Jesus rode on a donkey that nobody else had ridden on. So Mary's womb was a clean place. And that was like the temple uh, in the Holy of Holies. And the other thing is that it was a covered place. You know, when you were standing outside the temple on a normal day, I mean, there were some amazing supernatural times when the glory was seen outside. But on a normal day, uh, every Jew who came to the temple, they knew and believed that in the Holy of Holies, behind that curtain was God. That's where God's presence was. That's why Jonah fled, remember, because he was fleeing the presence of God. Now, that doesn't mean that Jonah didn't understand that God was everywhere. He was fleeing the localized presence of God in the temple. That's what he was fleeing in Jerusalem. They knew the temple, the Holy of Holies, was where God was. But you know what? You couldn't see it, but you knew it was there. In fact, it's a little bit like the Ark of the Covenant. When the Ark of the Covenant, which was the throne of God, was behind the temple curtains, you didn't see it. But you knew it was there. In fact, there's an interesting verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. I think it's verse 9. It says about the poles of the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant had two poles so it could be carried? And I know some of you wondered what on earth I was doing with these tonight. Well, this is a video, all right? So it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that you could see the poles from outside. Well, how could you see it if it was behind the curtain? It was covered, but you could see it. How could you see it? I'll tell you how. Because the, the poles on the Ark of the Covenant weren't put that way like everybody thinks. The Ark of the Covenant was carried that way. It was like a king's throne being carried through the temple as they were carrying it. 
And when they put the temple curtain up and the curtain up in the, t- in the tabernacle, what you saw was that. Can you see it? The, you can see the poles, but you can't see the poles. Can I say it very reverently? When the Lord Jesus was in Mary's womb and she had a bump, he was there. You could see him, but you couldn't see him. He was in the Holy of Holies and the sign was there. But you know, another comparison with the temple is this. In the Old Testament, God left the temple and he came out. One of the amazing things you see in the book of Ezekiel is about how the glory of God, God left the temple. And the day came when the Lord Jesus Christ left the womb of Mary, left the temple, and he came to walk among men. What an amazing thing that is. And you know what? It's phenomenal for us to think about the fact as well. As we think about the procedure, there's a great comparison with us as well about how our new life is conceived in Christ in the same way. The Holy Spirit comes inside us and he makes us a new person. And he's inside us. And the Bible actually says that our bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing privilege for us who are believers? So that's the procedure. That's how it happened. And uh, although we're not told lots more of the details, I believe when Mary said later on, Behold, I am the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I believe that's when it happened. And God overshadowed her and the miracle was done. What a wonderful, wonderful thing God uh, had planned in the virgin birth. Thirdly and finally, I'd like to see the possibility of the virgin birth because that's spoken of here as well. And uh, Mary had asked the question, how can this be? And she's given the technical answer in verse 35. But now she is given uh, really what I would call are some angelic apologetics. Apologetics doesn't mean apologizing for God's truth. It means explaining God's truth. Yet C.S. Lewis tells the story of a time when he was still a non-Christian. And he was at the universities at Oxford and Cambridge. And on one occasion at Christmas time, he was in, the, uh, in, 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 a, in an office with some other faculty staff members. And outside there were some carol singers singing Christmas carols. Late in time, behold, he comes, offspring of a virgin's womb. And uh, then later on they sang, lo, he aboreth not the virgin's womb. And one of his colleagues smiled condescendingly and said to him, Lewis, aren't you glad that we know better than that? And Lewis said, what's your point? He said, well, aren't you glad that we know that virgins don't have babies? And Lewis paused for a moment and said, don't you think that they knew that too? Isn't that the point? It is the point, isn't it? You know, it is a miracle. It's not what normally happens. Uh, and if, it, it, you know, this is, this is something which we have to understand is supernatural to the core. Now, a lot of people can't handle that. It's interesting to note, I, I, I was reading up in preparation of this, uh, about what Mormons believe regarding the virgin birth. And Mormons 
say they believe in the virgin birth, but they don't. Let me read you a quote from their, their book, uh, Journal of Discourses. They don't just have one Bible, by the way. They have lots of different books. One called The Pearl of Great Price and uh, The Book of Mormon. And they have one called Journal of Discourses. And uh, in volume 8, page 115, it says, The birth of the Saviour was as natural as are the births of our children. It was the result of natural action. He partook of flesh and blood, was begotten of his father as we are of our fathers. They deny the virgin birth. They they don't see that it's possible by a miracle. How they, they struggle with the fact that Jesus was born overly of a mother. What they do with Adam, I don't know. Because... Uh, Adam was born of neither father nor mother. (laughs) And that was a special creation of God. No, this is a possibility because of two things that are spelt out here in this passage. What God has done and what God can do. In verse 36, it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. God proved to Mary that it was possible because he's saying, I have already done a great miracle in your cousin Elizabeth, who was old and barren, and now she's carrying a child. She's now in her sixth month. See, you know, this is, this is something I can do, and there's proof of it by that. And actually, uh, there were seven illustrations in the Old Testament up to Elizabeth of children who had miraculous births to barren women, starting of course with Isaac in the Old Testament, the the Jewish people. When the Jewish people say, oh, you know, we struggle with the virgin birth, I always like to remind them, you know, actually you're here because God did a miracle in Isaac, your forefather. And that's how uh, Jacob uh, uh, and uh, his children were born. So this is something that God has done. But it's also something God can do. Because as he says in verse 31. For with God nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. Basically that's a statement of God's omnipotence. God can do anything. Nothing will be impossible to him. Somebody put it like this, the impossible is the him possible. That's something perhaps for us to remember this week for the things ahead. And so God can easily create, uh, or not create, but bring his son into the world through the womb of a virgin. I love what Matthew Henry said in his commentary. You might have to write this down to think about it. It'll bend your brain, but you'll get it. The God who took a motherless woman out of the side of a man, obviously Adam, took a fatherless man out of the body of a woman. That's great. That's what God can do. That's what God can do. And therefore, it is a possibility. 
I remember hearing of one man who was, this was one of his big questions. He's a, a very famous preacher to this day. And when he was looking into Christianity, this was one of his stumbling blocks. You know, the, the scientific, you know, this is not scientific, having a virgin birth. I always like to remember those who say that. Actually, the Big Bang isn't very scientific either. Saying everything came out of nothing. You've got a bigger problem than we ever had. We've got a God. You haven't. So you're saying everything came from nothing. That's, that's unscientific. But he had a problem with this. And he said, you know, I'm just going to, to have to lay it on one side, come to the Lord and just ask him to explain it. And actually what happened was when he put his trust in the Lord and he found the Lord was real and he believed the first chapter of the Bible that God is there and he realized God is the creator and God is omnipotent. He said, that just solved the problem. And just solved the problem. If God can do everything and anything, then he can do the virgin birth. And that was his message to Mary. And that's what you and I need to hold on to this Christmas too. John MacArthur has said this, the importance of the virgin birth cannot be overstated. A right view of the incarnation hinges on the truth that Jesus was virgin born. Let us remember that the virgin birth led to the life of Christ. A lady came to her doctor whose name was Dr. Walter Wilson. Some of you will know that name. Dr. Walter Wilson was a a medical GP who was a very famous preacher uh, many years ago uh, in America, North America. And he wrote a book called Just What the Doctor Ordered. It's sort of anecdotes and and things like this, but it's stories from his his medical career to illustrate gospel truths. And uh, a lady came to him and she was saying to him, she said, do you believe in the virgin birth? And he said, yes, I most definitely do. She said, you're a doctor. She said, if I came to you and I said, and you inspected me and found I was pregnant and I said to you, there was no father, would you believe me? And he paused for a moment. He said, lady, if when your baby grew up, he lived like Jesus Christ, he said, yes, I would. Yes, I would. And I think that's exactly right, isn't it? Look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, without doubt, the great testimony to the virgin birth and the resurrection, of course, that followed. So let's rest our faith on the word of God and uh, believe this precious truth with confidence and uphold it in this and every Christmas season. Christ was born of a virgin. Let's sing.